I did not get to review the new M2 MacBook Air. Luckily, some of my YouTuber friends did, and I have just a ton of opinions to share, so I'm gonna react to them. MagSafe. And why this is really key for the new MacBook Air is this will give you those two ports free. So you don't have to worry about losing a port to charge. You can have access to both of those ports. I can honestly take or leave MagSafe. I haven't missed it in the six odd years since Apple took it away from us, but I am super glad to have it back. If for no other reason, then it does free up that extra Thunderbolt 3 port. And I, I often have things that I wanna plug in. Got a notification in Final Cut that says I have run out of storage. So I had this problem previously with the M1 MacBook Pro, the original one. And what I did was turn off background rendering in Final Cut Pro, because what that does is just make everything into ProRes and store the ProRes versions on the hard drive so that it's way easier, way smoother to edit. But the M series processors are so, so much better than the Intel ones that they're replacing. I found that I just don't need that background rendering anymore. Everything just works fine live in real time. And when you turn that off, it just stops writing all of those ProRes files to disk, which is the thirstiest, hungriest thing ever. And you save so, so much space. I went from being able to barely keep one project on a one terabyte drive to being able to keep three, four, five, six, sometimes more, depending on the size. This is our first look at what's possible with Apple in a thin and light form factor now that they finally design the silicon and everything around it. That is my absolute favorite thing about the M series series of chipsets is that by emphasizing efficiency, Apple gets to push performance in smaller, lighter enclosures like this, in enclosures like the M1 iMac that could just never fit the previous Intel style chips in them. And they get to bump up core counts in larger machines like the Mac Studio without having to clock down all those extra cores that they're adding like you would have to in a higher end Intel or a Xeon part. It just, the efficiency enables all of this performance and we're seeing that now in this redesign for the MacBook Air that would probably be either severely, severely constrained or just Ralph Wiggum style, impossible with previous silicon. I do still wish that they'd put USB Type-C on both sides. Yes, a thousand yeses. And it is architecturally more complicated to do it that way, but it has just a bunch of benefits for anybody who wants to plug, be able to plug in anything on either side, whether it's that, you know, that side's the closest to the outlet or you need to spread stuff across your desk, just having those ports on both sides would be such a usability win. If you miss plugging it in enough times, you're gonna scratch the paint and it'll be most noticeable on this dark laptop because it has silver underneath. Take really, really good care of it. So when it comes to anodizing aluminum, which is what Apple uses for all these unibodies, the easiest thing to do is gold. You know, you just dip it and basically it comes out gold. One of the hardest things to do is black because it usually requires a thicker coating and thicker coating scratch as we may all remember from the OG iPhone 5 version or the iPhone 7 that had matte black or jet black. It scratches, it chips, it does all of those things. And Marquez is absolutely right when he says that you can put a skin on it or you can just take very good care of it. I'm gonna throw out a fourth option and that is don't care about it. I love, I love the Star Wars aesthetic, the worn technology aesthetic. And some of my most treasured devices are well-worn iPhones and iPods and MacBooks. And that are just, you know, they've shown all the abuse I've given, they've held up to it and they look, they look hella fantastic. 
So if this MacBook that I ordered uh, ends up looking like the midnight blue version of the Millennium Falcon, I'm cool with that. In the short, bursty stuff, it keeps up with the MacBook Pro just fine. They are very similar in performance with short, repetitive, quick stuff up to a couple minutes. But at some point with a sustained workload, this laptop is gonna get so hot without a fan that it has to throttle to not overheat. And this one with a fan will keep going at its normal performance. And the point Marquez is making is so, so important because I think it's something that a lot of reviewers either don't know or don't really think about. And that is there is a wide range of workloads from these really bursty ones where you're just doing a bunch of really quick things, things that light up the cores very quickly, but then drop them back down again. And maybe you're even doing a lot of them one after each other, opening apps or switching web tabs, rendering a page, like just a bunch of little things, really important things, but little things one at a time versus these long sustained workloads, which is like, rendering a video or a 3D animation project or compiling a large you know, development project, any of those things. And they make different machines along those ranges. Things from like the MacBook Air, which doesn't even have a fan, is really designed for bursty workloads for people who are doing productivity versus like the Pro or Max MacBook Pros where the CPUs can sustain indefinitely or the Mac Studios where you know, even the GPUs can last for a fairly good amount of time. I mean, like a lot of nerds are going to see this and think it's so light and so small and hear that it has ProRes engines and maybe consider using it in place of a MacBook Pro. But that's the reason Apple makes a MacBook Pro. I just want to take you by the hand and walk you over to the other table and say, this one is for you. And I know some people will say, well, their audience really wants to know about this stuff. Uh, and, you know, they're only making it for their audience. But that's not how YouTube or the Internet works. When you make a video using a product, especially slamming a product in a way that it was never designed nor intended, nor would rationally be used by a real human in the real world, that still shows up in search. That still gets flagged on Reddit. That still gets shared around. Uh, and it's, I think it's damaging for the customer because there are people who would be perfectly happy, who would prefer, who are making a conscious decision for ultra portability over ultra performance, who now have all this FUD, this fear, uncertainty, and doubt swirling around them that they didn't ask for and do not deserve. So this is why, like, we don't want Apple putting a much cooler chip in here just so that it can sustain because that's not the type of customer this is meant for. They're putting a chip in here who can give you that burst, who can give people who are doing the kinds of workloads that this is intended for, that instantaneous performance, high-level performance. And then, yes, it'll, it'll ramp down, but it'll ramp down in a way that just absolutely doesn't matter to them. So basically, the one thing going against this MacBook Air for me is the price, okay? So this laptop starts at $1,199, so $1,200. Oh, yeah, yeah, I absolutely feel you on the price. It's just MacBook Air feels like $999. And I know that every time Apple has redesigned it, has put out a new version of it, it's gone back up in price, albeit temporarily. So I'm not surprised that this landed at 1200. It's sort of what I expected, but I also wouldn't be surprised if this went down to 999 over the next couple of years and the M1 version gets phased out. I was convinced that this was gonna be the machine that I buy and use as my regular machine. Uh, but having gone this thing in, it's a really good machine, but it's not quite what I expected. So I had almost an opposite reaction to Dave2D because I was not expecting to buy one of these. I have the M1 Max MacBook Pro and I love it. I do every single video on this channel. I don't, I don't even use the Mac Studio that much because I love how powerful the M1 Max MacBook Pro is and how I can just take it everywhere with me. 
Um, but it is big. It is heavy. It's 16 inches. And I just figured I'd have to live with this. But then when I saw the M2 MacBook Air was getting those ProRes rendering engines, I just, I started to dream. Back when I started seriously covering events like 2010, 2011, I switched from a MacBook Pro to a MacBook Air because just like walking CES for three or four days for 10 to 12 hours a day with a huge, I think I had a 17 inch MacBook Pro uh, back then was just prohibitive. It just, it got to be too much. So when the 2011 MacBook Air came out, I switched to that. And I did a lot of my videos, those like 30 to 40 videos at a CES show sometimes on the MacBook Air. And it was fine. It just, it just took a long time. So when Apple redesigned the Unibody MacBook, I switched to the MacBook Pro again, and it was way, way faster. But, you know, once in a while, I would go back and forth, just, you know, how much weight could I cut down and how much performance would it cost me? And then because for the last, you know, couple of years, I haven't been traveling anywhere, I went all the way back up again, 16-inch MacBook Pro, and love it, but not the most portable thing if I am walking for, you know, 12 hours a day for multiple days. So I was hoping that this could be an ideal traveling machine that I know it'll come nowhere close to matching the rendering speeds. But if it's two or three minutes here or there, I'm not doing, you know, hour long videos and I'm not going to be able to do, you know, eight videos a week anymore. This I'm hoping will be just enough for the kind of work I'm going to be doing while traveling at the minimum weight possible. This year, they're only using a single NAND for that drive. So it results in significantly slower drive speeds when you're running a drive speed benchmark. I think regular workflows and even moderately demanding creative workflows are gonna be fine on the system. NAND gate, 2022. Um, here's the thing, what happens with storage is that density increases over time. So whatever the, the manufacturer can fabricate at 120 gigabytes, for example, that is the most economical, efficient, largest scale chip that they're manufacturing. Uh, that eventually just gets replaced when densities double again. And then the 256 gigabyte version becomes the most economical uh, version to manufacture at scale. And when you're Apple, that's basically what you have to go with because it becomes even more expensive, sometimes prohibitively expensive to pay for them to keep these legacy nodes, these legacy processes going just to make you smaller versions of the chipsets. And I realize that's counterintuitive, but progress. So what typically happens though, is Apple will do one of these twice the memory for the same price things. Like they'll introduce a new version of the iMac or the MacBook Pro or whatever. And they'll say now starting at, you know, double the storage, but it's the same price. And that's usually when you see these things happening or with an iPhone or with anything. It's just the, the base model goes to the next highest tier of storage because the, that is now the most affordable tier of storage. But they didn't do that this time. This time they kept the 256 gigabyte SKU. And because the chips are now double density, they only need one chip to create that SKU, that, that 256 gigabyte model. And what that means is that you, we no longer have the parallelism. Previously, you have two 128 gigabyte chips and the system would just write to both of them. You know, basically like a RAID, you'd get twice the amount of data just because you had two chips. And now there's only one chip. So there's no more parallelism. Everything is being written in serial. And again, in previous years, I think Apple would have just canceled this SKU and the new starting would be 512 gigabytes and none of this would have happened. And if you want to be just an even better Apple, if you want to get in on the ground floor of everything that's coming next with technology, then check out the neural networks, machine learning and algorithm classes on this video's sponsor, Brilliant. Brilliant has just this growing list of courses, including computer science, math, physics, logic, science, 
quantum mechanics, game theory, and so much more, all specifically crafted to help you learn concepts by working through them yourself in a visual, hands-on way. And all the lessons are thoughtfully broken up into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace. Like, no pressure, zero pressure. For example, if you wanted to learn to code, but you've always been put off by these traditional computer programming courses, Brilliant has actual, fun, interactive challenges that let you shift blocks of pseudocode around, receive immediate feedback, and get results. You feel like you're solving puzzles, gaming even, but the whole entire time, you're learning how algorithms work. And once you know that, everything becomes way less intimidating and way more accessible. Because here's the thing, everyone starts somewhere and you can get started right now, today, for free. Just visit brilliant.org slash Richie or click the link in the description and the first 200 people will get 20% off Brilliant's annual premium subscription. Just click the button on the screen or go to brilliant.org slash Richie. Clicking on that button really helps out the channel and so does clicking on this video for way more, just everything you need to know about M2. So check it out and I'll see you in that video.